0: dealing with issues of disparity based on race, paying the price once again for that. What are the lessons we can learn together about how to build a nation and maintain a nation Hmm. with this issue of disparity impacting our
1: health? The one thing that we've learned out of this entire process is when we talked about a global village, we talked glibly before. Now, I think we really understand what a global village means, right? Yeah. Because no one's safe until everyone's safe.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit of Health podcast, where we believe that healthcare belongs to everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Vecchia. Practicing pediatric cardiologist and educator. Together, we will explore the many facets of our unique American healthcare system its strengths, its weaknesses, and what can be done to ensure that it meets its full potential to improve our lives. On each episode, we'll invite a special guest to help us on our journey. We'll learn about the various healthcare settings that these experts come from and the remarkable work they're doing to transform America's health we will take the best of what they have to offer so we can all reach for a better health care together. So join me now in our pursuit of health. Welcome back, everyone, to the Pursuit of Health podcast. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Eric Fetke, here on part three, the final part of episode 15, we continue our discussion with a dear friend and mentor of mine, Mr. Segi Play from his home in South Africa. In the first part, we discussed the rebirth of a nation as South Africa came out of apartheid and rebuilt their infrastructure, much of it around health care and public health. In part two, we delve deep into the HIV pandemic as an experience that tested what they had built in the early years and also hopefully laid the groundwork for the COVID-19 pandemic that was to come. They had a lot of experience in other areas, including malaria as well and tuberculosis, but here they now face COVID-19 and many of the past lessons had to be brought to the foreground. How did they do? Let's find out as we continue our discussion with Mr. Segi Pillay. And the lesson I wanted my sons to see is, even though they, it was important that Segi brought you here and see this, this is much better than it even was back in the 1990s. Oh, back
1: in, that, uh, I mean, the progress that we right. made, but it shows right. how big, and, 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 and that's why when people judge us, Whether it's another country or another race group or whatever it is, when people judge us, we must remember that we're only 27 years old. Right,
0: right. As a a, country. It's a new nation. So you're here with the National Health Laboratory Services trying to understand this dynamic as a continent and as a country and working together in HIV, tuberculosis. In fact, the image I have is of these smaller hospitals barely having some of the necessary resources uh to do hygienic care et cetera, and then you have this one beautiful shiny room with all the diagnostic testing in it it yes, has been yes. supported by all these other foundations you know, And yeah. this looks almost like it doesn't belong in this hospital it looks like it belongs in some other you know in europe asia united states yeah. or, or yeah. cape town uh, what's going on here and the point you're making is that was done on purpose. It was so important to have diagnostic testing in order for yeah. the rest of the system to work that it stood alone, even within the hospitals as something we, we basically really put a lot of pride into and a lot yeah. of stake in, in terms of yeah. our ability to deal yeah. with some of these issues.
1: And, and uh, unfortunately for the rest of the African continent, um, laboratory diagnostic is very patchy. And as a result, they've not been able to re- respond right. to HIV, to COVID, and to other uh, communicable and non-communicable diseases. You know, I, I think it's an absolute travesty, travesty that in this day and age, people still die of malaria hmm. in in African countries. Right. When in fact, it's completely, you can diagnose it immediately, you can treat it immediately, and people would be fine. You know, you have some loss of life. But so it's it's... So the laboratory part of it is a very important part of it. And when we talk about COVID again, you'll see how Absolutely. important the testing is.
0: Right. So we're going to get into that and because here we are, a lesson of on the ground, trust, communication, building a, a new nation, an infrastructure around health, and realizing that not only do the Uh, standard institutions such as hospitals and things need to be there, but the public health sector has to be supported and diagnostics need to be in place, especially when you're dealing with communicable diseases in which infections can spread. And that's very different than perhaps a nation like ours who was dealing more with non-communicable diseases, cancers, diabetes, and heart disease. And we're not built. We didn't have that infrastructure as important. It's private sector, our diagnostic labs. You're saying it is part of our national Uh, Agenda, because it is so important, because that's a big part of what we deal with is communicable diseases. And as we start to address those most recently, we start to look more like you. Uh, We start looking more like Europe and the rest of the world because we get rid of a big chunk of our communicable diseases by diagnostic intervention. And now we start dealing with non-communicable, but then something happens. And I wanna give people the background. The United States uh, is not proud, as you said, with HIV, because as we head into COVID, we are basically making 14% of the world's deaths from COVID come from the United States. And you talked and alluded to a nation of resources. That doesn't make sense. Just as you were talking about HIV and a percentage of HIV deaths that uh and cases cases in the in the world were that similar number. Look at that. It's we're talking about in the mid teens. You were dealing with HIV and your infrastructure. And a new nation, and we're a nation of plenty, and we're dealing with the same inequities which start to haunt us, uh, and resources, and not thinking about public health, and not thinking about diagnostics and communicable disease, and now we're leading the world in a horrible statistic of 14% of the deaths come from the United States. If we look at our population and the amount of deaths that are attributed to us based on our population... We're talking uh-huh. about basically we're threefold higher than we should be. To give you a sense, countries uh-huh. such as South Korea are dealing with the COVID. And basically, in terms of their percent of the population and therefore how much deaths coming from South Korea because of their approach to this, we're dealing yeah. with a comparison that's 0.08, basically saying that they are a an abysmally small, which is wonderful in this case, a fraction of their population based on their own size are dying from COVID. Whereas we adjusting for the size of our population are literally 100 times higher than that nation. And you come in in the UK, which is an analogy, we talked about their system is neck and neck with the United States, if not a little bit more in terms of how many deaths given the size of their population and we're using south africa now we go back and you're just underneath the united states again in terms of your covid deaths based on your population are not at 0.08 of the uh relative to the growth of the uh, size of population but you're at 2.34 the united states is at 3.3 and uk is at four meaning that those nations are contributing a disproportionate amount of deaths based on their size. And what is yeah. causing that? And we've talked about, here we come from HIV, nation building, healthcare building, and we now are all facing another communicable disease. You have experienced in South Africa because of HIV. We were supposed to as well, but we're based more on non-communicable diseases. What's going on here, Segi? What, what lessons that we all should have learned, and what is your thoughts behind this now?
1: So, no, and, and exactly, I mean, you know, we, 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 the one thing that we've learned out of this entire process is when we talked about a global village, we talked glibly before. Mm-hmm. Now, I think we really understand what a global village means, right? Yeah. Because no one's safe until everyone's safe. And borders are just not helping in this process. I mean, just to share some of the South African figures. I mean, the U.S. figures are really quite scary. And unfortunately, you know, you you had difficulties with your president at a point in time. Um, there was a kind of we couldn't get this balance right between the economy and 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 people. And uh, we we may have defaulted onto the wrong things. Now, South Africa at the moment our testing is actually we're doing fairly well we do, we did about 17 million tests already our positive cases are 2.7 million so it's pretty high uh, recoveries are pretty good 2.4 million deaths 81,000 deaths and new cases now are sitting at uh, 12,000 um, new cases so but as you pointed out with our lessons in, in HIV, we, would have should, we should have done a lot more and done a lot better. And, and again, uh, Eric, sadly, we never seem to learn from our mistakes, mm. right? No matter where in the world we are, right. we just yeah. don't learn. And even in, in South Africa, although uh, to the credit of our government, we very early on took an approach to say that science will inform everything. And the president set together a panel of experts. Uh, Slim Abdul Karim, who you know, you met when you were in South Africa. I mean, today is a global authority on uh, HIV and now on COVID. And uh, he was sharing this and some of our best scientists were there. But unfortunately, politicians, being politicians, will say one thing and do something completely different. So although they were getting fantastic evidence based on, on science, they didn't implement all of that. And, and we also got to a point where people were saying, okay, the economy is more important than everything else. So when, when in the early days, when WHO was saying South Africa is the role model for the world, when we did all the lockdowns, when we shut down and no one was allowed to move, um, when we, in that first sort of couple of months, we had a complete control of the pandemic. Right. And suddenly the economists and everyone else started saying, well, what about the economy? It's all going to go belly up. So if we're not going to die from COVID, we're going to die from starvation and hunger and everything else. Right. And again, and again, we were saying it's one or the other, instead of saying, how do we take the collective uh, concerns and build a strategy around it? And I think your own country went through the same dilemma. Um, and, and as a result of that, we went to the other extreme. We just started opening everything up. And before we knew it, we're now sitting with the, the Delta variant, which has created you know, devastation in, in, in the country. Um, and we're not even certain about the vaccines that we're using at the moment and whether it's effective in the management of the Delta variant. We know that it's contributing to um, my, uh, to severe infections. It's got a positive implication. We know that it's preventive, uh, but we, we, just, we just went through the third wave, uh, Eric. Right, And people were sitting in, in emergency rooms and dying in emergency rooms now we've overcome that, but already the 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 sci- our uh, scientific scientific community are saying the fourth wave is December right and possibly at other variant hmm. and and so we didn't learn everything, and again, like HIV, we were slow to start
0: and the and, so the, you and know, the and the idea again is i think part of this and and I, we can't ignore this between our two nations there was a part of our societies that took the broadest hit again and it wasn't those people with the resources it was those without and exactly. no nation is you know this shangri-la where everybody is equal in terms of socioeconomics and for all the reasons that we talked about of gender and race and poverty and all these things that we learned from HIV and as you rebuild your country, and we uh, you know, are starting to say, wow, this had much more of an impact than we gave it credit for. All of a sudden, we realize what we call essential people in our economics, essential workers, are really the people who are disproportionately have less, and they are being impacted in your country and our country four times more at least, Mm -hmm. than any other sector. Mm -hmm. And that is Mm -hmm. having a direct impact on the cost to provide the care, the impact to the economy, not having enough workers, uh, all the different factors that public health knows about. And we don't invest in that public health, which you talked about at the beginning of this, that making that strong, because that's where that's the tool for us to Foresee what this could do and a- over avert these problems. Yet, here we go again. We're not putting public health as primary, and it has direct impact on our entire system, economically and otherwise, and the disparities and the disproportions. So, why, what will solve this in that sense? We know the lessons, we've seen them. You talked about not making mistakes that you've seen before, yet we seem to go back. So, with two nations dealing with issues of disparity based on race, paying the price once again for that, what are the lessons we can learn together about how to build a nation and maintain a nation Mm -hmm. with this issue of disparity impacting our health to the point where it impacts our economy and everything else? Uh, How do we get out of this?
1: So, Eric, I I think you know that's the issue around the around COVID was it's highlighted the in the unequal society whether it's in the United States or whether it's in South Africa or whether it's in right. some other country, it's highlighted for us the uh, the unequal nature of our society and South Africa is the most unequal in the world. I mean, seventy percent of our wealth is in the hands of percent of South Africans. So so clearly we have to tackle that issue uh, going forward. The second issue is COVID is flagged for us that no worker is more important than the other. When we got up that morning and found that we didn't have the grocery store assistant to get our food to us or the farmer who suddenly is, uh, you know, production has gone down. Or the person who does logistics for you or the the most important person in the the middle of this pandemic were the people that were responsible for keeping the environment, the infection control under control, you know, the hand-washing and having the the bathrooms and, and what have you, having all the minimum things that are in place to prevent the spread of the infection. So suddenly Yes, you and I may think that we important people. Suddenly we realize mm-hmm. that actually there are people that are even more important than we are. Right. And therefore, all workers need to be given the attention that, they, that we should be giving to them. That the public health, the public health aspects of, our, of, of healthcare became even more important. The prevention and the promotion part. The issue about improving, improving knowledge and awareness. Because part of vaccine hesitancy right. was- is partly about not knowing enough. Correct. It's not just about people saying, I'm not going to have it. Of course, if you don't have enough information, how do you decide? And yet, we had successes, uh, Eric, you and I take for granted today, putting on a safety belt. But you will remember the time mm-hmm. when it was perfectly normal for us to get into a car and drive around. Absolutely. Today, it's, it's the law. You can't drive around without a safety belt. But suddenly we are concerned about our rights, uh, you know, when we say to people, you need to take the vaccine mm. because, again, it's about the balance between my individual rights versus the rights of the community. And, and people are thinking that their rights are being eroded by a government that is saying we're encouraging. In fact, at the moment, there's no government that's actually forcing vaccine. right? They all are encouraging. But yet we force people to put a safety belt on. So that's the second kind of thing about how do you, how do you balance priorities in, in society? And then the issue about resources, how do you allocate resources? Because if, if you don't tackle the problem of the poor, we now know in a pandemic, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're male or female, whether you're you know, driving around in a fancy car or not, you are, you, the risk is exactly the, the same to the individual. Right. You can't lock yourself up in, in, in some sort of uh, uh, faraway place. And to that extent, Eric, I, I, you know, given that I'm, we're talking to a U.S. audience, the, part of the difficulty then is about inequity and unequ- unequal country uh, comparisons. So the U.S. with all its resources, and because it's got the resources, it goes and buys all the global supplies of, of vaccines. And we're certainly sitting in a situation that we don't have, we don't, we got the resources, but we can't get access to the vaccines. Or the U.K. goes and buys four times their requirement for the population. And it's only with global pressure, they now say, we will, we will donate some of it to, to uh, low-income uh, countries. So we, we know now that whether you live in the North or whether you're in the South, we got to move all people forward. We got to address the inequality in, in society. We got to have a public health approach to everything that we do. And we got to have a strong public health system that in the US you know, is largely a private model. But if you're not going to respond to the, to the needs of people without health insurance, it is going to come and bite us at some point in the future, as we're seeing currently with, with, with COVID. I think
0: that it's, it's, it's fascinating to oversimplify this, but to go back and, and think of that sitting on the ground in the dirt in those communities with no electricity, no water. 1990, that you took me to, that we have in our country and many countries have, and realize that you made a decision to make everyone equal and sit in a circle on the ground and say, I need to build trust by telling you, you're just as important as me in the solution to the problem we are now facing. And to take 20 some years and build a nation around many different issues, education, Economics, but healthcare is a big part of it. And to see these lessons that you learned about making it important that every single person realizes that they are the most important part, are just as important by literally physically addressing them that way, then you get into the sector of your own health career where you're now leading and you say, I'm not going to lead above, I'm going to lead know, with people and be part of yeah. that and realize that. Yeah. And then to realize that that lesson, as simple as it may be, could have been the solution that prevented some of what we're dealing with. Yeah. The idea that we could have gone back to the basics and said, if that essential worker had been empowered economically, intellectually, education, and through information to not be so cynical again once again at a time when we get the next pandemic the next stress then maybe this didn't need to happen and i think as a physician and you as a public health person and someone who's spent your career trying to build systems to to literally get rid of disease let's be honest to try identify and wipe it to walk into a system in which we were blinded we didn't have a test in our nation and you're, you're building a whole entire system in your nation uh, backed by the government of testing and to realize we spent the first almost a year not knowing who did not have the vaccine, uh, the, the virus. That was frightening. It was like walking into a room and and just like ghosts around you. You didn't know who was going to be the one to give it to you or next and, and realizing like, why don't we have tests? And then why don't people trust the test and why don't people trust the mass and trust the vaccines and all these things that we know scientifically will work. And it wasn't about the science. It was about the infrastructure of yes. how we deal with each other, the the inequities, the the, the politics, and I don't use it. Politics can be a one, as you proved, can be a wonderful thing. It can advance a nation, can build a nation if you do it right. But all those downsides that didn't need to, we should have learned, so to speak. And I think we are learning once again. And what would your advice be for your nation, our nation with your experience to get out of this? Because here we are again, third wave, fourth wave. How do we do this? How do we get out? What are the
1: lessons? So I, I mean, for me, and again, looking at the HIV experience, yeah, um, we can't depend on governments alone. Governments have important roles to play. They'll identify the resources. They'll do all of that, right? They will build the systems and uh, and 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 deal with those sorts of issues. But it's about working in partnership, because. We know, again, like HIV, it wasn't simply about providing ARVs to people. If people didn't trust ARVs, you can have all the ARVs in the world, no one's gonna touch it. Explain so ARV, we knew ARVs to, to the audience, ARV? Antiretroviral therapy right, right. for people living with HIV, right? So we, so we knew that you couldn't, you had to look at the individual and around the individual understand the lived experience of those people. So it'll be different for rich people versus poor people. Um, the issue is around, you can't, with the vaccines, we know it's not simply about making vaccines available. Despite vaccines being available for all countries in the north, the uptake isn't anywhere near what we would have liked it to be. Right? So we got to deal with knowledge and awareness. we got to deal with... Um, the, uh, the the safety factors associated with it. You, our science at, uh, on uh, the one thing that we did get right on COVID, our science has been absolutely outstanding, impeccable, absolutely. It's it been it been phenomenal. And I must say, the regulatory authorities, the way they've responded to uh, the uh, the vaccines, have been absolutely phenomenal. Because I feel reasonably safe, but I can say so because I understand a little bit about healthcare um, that. I can take the vaccine. But for the average person, knowledge and awareness, understanding the economics of it. Because um, uh, so for South Africa, and I don't know what the situation in the US would be, but I I would assume it would be similar for for marginalized communities. If we're not going to get a vaccine to the people, then we can't call that vaccine hesitancy. You've been to South Africa. Somebody living in a rural village, They're not going to take a bus or a taxi because they don't have the financial means to do that, to come to a center. So we should be looking at taking the center to the people. So pop-up sites, mobile sites. Now, in the U.S. situation, you don't need that because, you know, you've got the infrastructure and the, the sophistication of public transport, et cetera. But in South Africa, having those sites, taking the vaccine to the pay points, where people receive their pension, uh, their But now we want to know, I mean, if you look at South Africa at the moment and you drill down, the majority of people who are vaccinated at the moment are white and Asian mm. because we have the means and because all the vaccination sites that are run by the public sector and the private sector in partnership, but they're all in urban areas. So some granny who is taking care of three children who who lost a child from HIV in a village in in the Northwest province, is not getting to that vaccine, firstly, because she has to care for the kids. And secondly, she doesn't have the financial means to take a taxi to get there. So that's the other part of it. How How do we improve access? What are the obstacles to access? And how do we challenge those? HIV told us all of that. And because government dealt collectively with the problem, we were able to achieve the 1990 targets in the way that we should. So I'm hoping that our government and other governments around the world will aggressively move towards that aspect of it. I mean, South Africa at the moment, and and this I offer as a criticism, we have 11 official languages. 90% of the communication on on vaccines is in English. Oh. No, how how are you, you going to reach people? Now you know. Then people would say, "Well, do we do it in eleven languages?" Of course, you're going to have to do it in yes. eleven languages.
0: Yeah, absolutely, that's your name. If you're gonna, your if
1: you're gonna have to reach them, and the 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 other part is about about partnership. So partnership, the the non governmental sector are directly linked to the communities in which they work so if you brought them in as part of the the implementation strategy with government if you in south africa the private sector is an important part of it although it only serves uh, 17% of the population but isn't the consolidation of resources to deal with the collective health status of south africa is important doesn't matter whether it's coming from public or private how do you bring both those resources together to respond to the bigger goods. So partnerships are absolutely crucial. Right. So any ideological challenges that we may have, in the US, you wouldn't have that because it's it's largely a capitalist system. But any ideological concerns of the private sector, now we've got to put aside. we got to say, how do we be public and private to, to deal with this? This problem is so big, it can't be done by the public sector alone. NGO sector, how do we change consciousness of people? How do we... How do, we, how do we get people to volunteer in this program, you know, in the vaccine sites? People could be there. I, you know, I can go in, you can go in right. and offer to, to provide information at no cost because people may take you and I a little more seriously because they know us. We're from the same community in which we're going to talk to people around. How do we bring the youth sector in? Because a big part of this is young people you know, although they got all the information because with social media today, they got it. But the issue is I'm too busy doing something else. It's it, That's more important to me right now. But how do we change that? And I'm sure in the U.S. it's exactly the same because next thing they're in, in a party somewhere and they've had, a you know, a beer or two and all inhibitions fall away.
0: Right. And that's the same Um, issue we had with HIV. That's why HIV reared its head amongst the youth in South Africa and elsewhere. Um, 15 to 24-year-olds made the majority of HIV in South Africa. You see the same issue at the spring break parties in the United States with COVID. And all this comes together. And you're saying, we've got this impeccable, amazing achievements in science, but what we haven't figured out or given... We figured it out, but I don't think we've prioritized it to the level it needs to be. Which I think I'm hearing you say, I'm basically summarizing your ideas, which is that you have all that. You have the national labs, you have the technology, you have the vaccines, but what we haven't done is raise the consciousness of us as a society that when we face something that is essentially equivalent to a war, that we drop all our issues and what makes us divided, and come together, private, public, political parties, other agendas, uh, different socioeconomic, we drop it, and we say, we're all at stake here, together, again, is the only way we're going to do this. We have to focus on the human factors. It's the human factors that will get us through this, because no matter how much technology we have, if we do not address the issues of cynicism that you alluded to, of of not understanding that and ignoring the history of a people who have already have every right to be cynical and, and wonder, you know, if those other people on the other side of that desk or that computer really have their best interest in mind. When you have all of those human factors not addressed, you're yeah. still vulnerable. You're still wide open Absolutely. to every pandemic and every situation, earthquake, that we just dealt with in Haiti or everything else, because we haven't prioritized the human infrastructure as, as important Absolutely. as technology.
1: I, I, I think that's the powerful part of it. It's about the human infrastructure. And, 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 you know, in all our lessons, if we put people at the center, however you define people at the center of everything that we do and bring them in and have some confidence, in their ability to, you know, most people will apply their minds in a very constructive way sure. if they're given an opportunity to do that. Because if we took it from, if we looked at it from that point of view, I think we would have been way down the line. And, and you know, the other comment was, is about, I hope that after COVID, um, and, and, you know, there will be another pandemic, but after COVID, I hope that we revisit our values. Mm. We revisit our um, approach to life. We vi- we re- revisit our relationships with, with, with people because it's become more and more evident that we are so interlinked mm. within societies in which we live, between states and provinces in which we live, live and between countries. We is just a complete whole, and for the first time, I think. And, and I think we got a unique opportunity to rethink all of those elements because every element of an unequal society has been intensified a hundred times by COVID. And as we drill down, we'll, we'll, we'll understand that. So we need a more humane society, we need a more equitable society. We need a capitalist system that will look different in the future, because you know I just saw some of the uh, the profits for twenty twenty announced by the vaccine companies. It is obscene, right? During this absolutely obscene,
0: right? And how does that happen? How does that get overlooked? And how do you go home at night, uh, being part of that, and feel good? Um, Yeah, right, right and and so i think what you've summarized because we always ask at the end of our interviews um and this the lessons here learned the integration uh that we all are interdependent across so many sectors and countries together i think you've summarized in many ways but if you can encapsulate that moving forward with your experience hiv covid uh your your professional experience, your leadership now at the Woods Foundation, everything you're doing and moving forward, how do we here uh, understand what is the pursuit of health moving forward? How do we do that? You've mentioned some of it, but if you would encapsulate that and said, look, I want to give you a couple things here. This is what you need to make us healthy, whether it's in your own country or internationally. What is the pursuit of health?
1: So I, 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 the pursuit of health, uh, Eric, and you and I have been you know, doing this for several decades now. It's really about providing a health system that will respond to the needs of all people. Whether it's, whether it's delivered, who the provider is, is besides the point. It can be the private sector. It could be the public sector. It could be a mix. It could be the NGO sector. It really doesn't matter. What you need is an environment That sets out a policy uh, process that protects the most vulnerable. Because COVID showed us that, you know, those of us who have the financial means, we can't go and lock ourselves up in a corner, right? So if we can tackle the, if we can develop a system that says, irrespective of your ability to pay, you've got to have access to healthcare, as you should have access to education, education and, and health. Uh, uh the flip side of the same coin right. because the, both of them will, will advance nations. That actually, it's a good investment for a nation. It's not, we learned from HIV, everyone said, oh my gosh, this is a massive cost and it's going to be a, a cost to the rest of the citizens. Well, actually, we've shown it's not. Right. It's turned around economies. These are, these are skills that these individuals would have been dead. All of their skills would have been gone. Thousands of years of experience would have been gone. So it's a good economic reason why we got to do this. But let's build a public health system that responds to everyone's needs. You and I who have the ability to top up and buy more health insurance, we'll do that. That's our right to do that. But those people who can't even get the basics, and I'm not just talking about primary health care. I'm talking about from primary right up to quaternary care. Right. And assuming that there's a logic to to getting that access, and, and some of it will be rationed, and that's the reality of life. But we've got to build up that system that we can all say that if we want to be a humane society, then we've got to guarantee that. And and, and you know already, Eric, there's discussions around the world around um, around universal health coverage. That's the broad terminology that's used. We have universal health coverage. We deal with it. And as I say, it doesn't matter whether you're in a socialist system, a capitalist system or whatever system, every person should get that minimum decent level of care that they can be certain of. And that will ensure that they are are at work. That's a good reason. Their productivity will be maintained. Their kids will do well in school because they are well, they uh, they have access to nutrition and everything else. And in that way, we you don't have to create any other opportunities because if you want to equalize society respond to those two needs mm. after that you know if you if you don't make progress in many respects you'll only be yourself to blame because all of the other opportunities are there so i think that that is a responsibility of a government and they must take the lead on universal health coverage mm. and give expression to that, because even in even in the U.S., you got 80 million people that are, you know, have no access to health insurance, and, and what happens? They're either paying out of pocket, and they do that by what economists call an opportunity cost. They may be doing that at the expense of their child going into university and paying for the university. So somebody ends up with cancer. They are lower middle income and they've not bought health insurance, and they take all of their savings and they put it into that. So I, I I think it would be better for countries to invest in that. And after that, we don't have to worry about donor funds. You don't have to worry about any of those things because people can then, you know, do what they think is right sort of going forward. So I think that that's the most important lesson. And I, I for me, certainly, I think if we want to, bring about equality or a more equal and humane society than education and health we gotta tackle much more aggressively
0: well I think from somebody who over the years we've outlined your course and your your own journey of of your career uh, with so coming from you with that experience uh, telling us that I wasn't even Aware, I would be going into healthcare at the beginning, and here I am, all these years later, in this experience of watching a nation rebuild itself, dealing with infections, getting involved in the infrastructure of the health and the government along the way. To hear these—that's advice from you—I think is very potent and and very important because it's coming back down to making sure that we invest in the. Individual human infrastructure, again, going back to that idea that is equitable, that every single person, when we put our resources into everyone, regardless of who they are, we not only all do better economically, but that is so tied to how we do in our healthcare, which feeds into our economics and attaches into our education as well. When these three things come together, which is what you taught me which is what mandela was saying way back when education healthcare economics they are the triumvirate and you come back to those and when we don't have one of those to hold up it falls the system's still vulnerable and it's got to be for everyone if we make that not just something we give lip service to but actually do it we will be okay we will weather the next one better and better But if we don't learn these lessons and we don't keep these things as a priority, we're still vulnerable. Um, I I think, you know, this is a very important point you make and I really appreciate you spending the time to share your career, your experience. I was looking forward to this, as I said, and I think we've covered a lot. And I hope that people take a listen to some of these ideas and can use them uh, so we can all get out of this not just South Africa, not just the United States, but all of us as one species on this planet. So thank you very, very much for this time. As people can tell, uh, we could talk for hours and hours about what we are passionate about, and we thank you for sharing this passion with us uh, this evening. I know it's late in South Africa. What time is it over there now?
1: It's now 7.12. But it's been an absolute uh, pleasure being part of this discussion. Man. Really wonderful to touch base with you. Same as well as I watch the sun fall
0: down in Johannesburg where you are and the lights turn on your home. I thank you for inviting us to your home and sharing this experience. And we hopefully uh, will have some people uh, take this to heart at all different levels and realize that everyone listening or otherwise, your neighbors and those you don't know, are just as important for us to be a successful society and people thank you again Uh, good evening and i will definitely stay in touch because i learn every moment i spend with you so thank you
1: indeed likewise thank you take care
0: i hope you learned as much as i did by sitting down with mr palais in south africa it took us through a long journey in a new country and helped us look at ourselves from across the ocean, hopefully in a much better way. In some ways, the mistakes we share are what builds us to be stronger. And as he said, if you don't make mistakes, then you can't learn from them. But if you don't learn from them, then we're going to absolutely repeat history again. So I look forward to your comments on this and many of the other episodes that we have done so far. Your input has been wonderful. People are really giving us a good sense that we are starting to impact the way people think about health care, and we look forward to many future episodes with you. So until next time, I'm Dr. Eric Vecchi, your host here at the Pursuit of Health podcast, wishing you well in all your pursuits.